Hello, hello, everyone. This is Shara Carruthers, and I hope that as the sound of my voice hits your ears, that you are experiencing an unbounded sense of ease and stability. Two qualities that that I feel are the foundation for living with a sense of aliveness. And I got to tell you, I'm feeling quite easeful and stable as I share my delight in introducing a conversation with one of my dearest, dearest friends, Bronnie Ware. So some of you may already know Bronnie as the author of the book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And my friendship with Bronnie has grown increasingly close over the years. And when I made the decision to look a little bit more closely at the art and the process and the joy of knowing yourself, of course, Bronnie was one of the first names to be added to my list of people that I really wanted to chat with. And so here's the thing. The longer that I live, the more I'm beginning to fully embrace that there's this richness to the experience of living that fills the gaps in our understanding of who we are and why we're here. But the challenge always is to be present to that experience and to find the courage to see it for what it is, all just an opportunity to know ourselves better. And so Bronnie has lived an absolutely incredible life thus far. She's having grown up in the heart of the country music world here in Australia and become something of a nomad in her adult life, which has been dotted with these profound episodes of human connection and insight. From banking, working in a bank, to creating and selling art, writing and performing music, to caring for the dying in their final days, living in her car, to writing a book that's now been translated into more than 25 languages, Bronnie has walked through life with her eyes and her heart wide open, and she's generously shared the lessons of living and dying in her books, which also include Your Year for Change and Bloom. And so I knew, absolutely knew, that Bronnie would have some beautiful and inspiring lessons to share from her past and from her more recent adventures in single parenting and and, in navigating health challenges. And you know what? I was not disappointed. I couldn't be. And even though I've known her for years, I learned lots in this conversation and, and I was left feeling even closer and more inspired by who she is and how she is. And so please, please enjoy this conversation that I had with my dear friend, Bronnie Ware. Hello, 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 Bronnie Ware. Hi, Shara, my darling, beautiful friend and wise woman. It's such a delight to be here with you. Oh, I just can't say how excited I am, not only just to be with you and to have this opportunity to to chat with you about this subject, but just to to have the opportunity to kind of share our connection and our friendship in this way with the my kind of wider audience, you know, which I haven't, I haven't really done so much. Um, I think you have to some degree or a little bit more than me, but I'm just really excited to share this, uh, this conversation and this connection. Me too. Absolutely. Yay. So, okay. So I've, I've talked to you a little bit about the fact that I am really focusing um, this season on the discussion around this idea of knowing yourself. And so I have a question for you. And that question 
to start, to kick us off. That question is, who are you? Who are you right now in your, your understanding, your, your evolution? Okay. That's a pretty big question, but we'll yeah. try not to make it take five days. <laughs> that's okay. Go. <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm a woman who knows herself, knows her limits, mm. knows, um, is brave enough to continue to discover her potential. Uh, and I think more than anything, I'm a woman grounded in knowing what works for me and certainly what doesn't work for me. And mm. that's a really uh, solid platform that I I represent myself in the world from or, or that I show up in the world from, that, uh, that there's just a groundedness in me and it's come from a lot of life experience. It's also come from the transition of menopause where, you know, once you get into, uh, get through menopause, you, you tend to just have a, a no nonsense filter. And that's, that's a really big act of self kindness because you don't, you just don't take nonsense of any sort anymore. There's no yeah. space for it. But who I am is, is, is a woman who feels that she knows herself really well and is brave enough to continue to try to honor that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm guessing that there's lots of folks out there who, who, ha who feel like they have a sense of who you are in part because of the books that you've written and how, um, you know, they've primarily been these memoirs that have, uh, touched on, you know, your experience and your journey over the years. And so I find myself wondering, have you have you always been conscious of the fact that you've been on a journey of self-discovery? No, I wasn't always conscious of it. I was always on it. Uh, mm. I remember doing a, a project at school. I went to a Catholic school right through. And like I had an uncle who was a priest, an aunt who was a nun. It was a pretty religious upbringing. Mm. Uh, and I remember doing this, we had to do a project at school when I was in about year eight, I think. And I used a soundtrack. I used a song from the fame soundtrack instead of a religious song. And it was, uh, it's called dogs in the yard and it's about just wanting I know to it. break free from everything. I love that song. Yeah. It's what, Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad. Yeah. It's yeah. one of my favorite songs still. And, mm. and the nun at the school, she said to me after that, have you ever considered joining the order, Bronnie? And I was like, Oh no, no. <laughs> sorry, sister. But so I think there was always a spiritual leaning for me that was obvious to others. But for me, I was just trying to navigate my way through a, a pretty um, challenging family life and everything else. I think my consciousness probably came uh, in my first marriage. I was married at 19 and or engaged at 19 with a mortgage, married at 20. Mm. And I read my first sort of self-help spiritual book then. And so, you know, I'm in my mid-50s now. So I've been on, mm. the, on the journey for a good few decades, but mm. I don't think it was conscious until I was about 20 or 21. Yeah. And once you became conscious of it, did it shift in any way, like what you did or how you engaged with your past or how you thought about your future? Certainly, but it really, it took, it, it wasn't until I got on the path of Vipassana meditation, mm -hmm. uh, which is, I don't know how many years ago now, maybe 20 years ago or 15, 20 years ago, that I actually 
started growing in compassion and then being able to heal in a way that was also kind to myself. So mm. I was already working on forgiveness for how I'd been treated. My, my dad was a, a really broken person and that came out as raging alcoholism and a lot of verbal abuse to me being the, the creative sensitive one, which is who he was in his family. Mm. Um, so I could, I could forgive him and I'd learnt forgiveness. I was practicing forgiveness every day of my childhood. But I think once I got on that path of Vipassana meditation and I, I was very devoted to, I'm a, still a meditator, absolutely, but I was sitting and serving courses uh, all over, just as regularly as I could for a few years there. And, um, yeah, I don't even know how, how much time I spent at the centre, but I, I certainly served as much as I, I sat as a student. And it was then that I started truly grasping the power of compassion and how it had to start with myself. Mm. And I think once that happened, my heart was could actually start truly healing because then it wasn't just forgiving out of trying to keep the peace in the family or whatever. It was healing because I loved myself enough to treat my tender heart with, with the kindness it deserved. So, yeah, I, I, I really would probably credit most of it to the amount of work I did in those early years of finding my way. I, I'd been a meditator for over 10 years before that. I was into yoga before that in my 20s and 30s, but it really wasn't until... I sat my first, maybe my second Vipassana course that I just realized then, oh, okay, this is actually all about compassion and it has mm. to start with myself. And so from then on, I, I mean, it's just layers after layers then because you're just, you're not only healing all your trauma and I've, I've certainly done a lot of that, but now it's, I don't approach it from having to heal a trauma perspective more as a curiosity of discovery into how much joy, how much joy I can allow into my world. And mm -hmm. that's a lot more exciting. It doesn't feel, I mean, there's always resistance to work through and there's always things to learn about myself, but I don't come at it anymore from a, from that. Oh, I'm, I'm, it's another layer of trauma, another layer of healing. It's more like, Oh, okay. This is a part of myself. I I'm discovering and isn't she strong and amazing. Yeah. So it's a very mm. conscious path now, um, and that sounds so cliched, you know, the whole path word <laughs> and journey word and everything, but... There's no other words we can use for these things no, at this point. No. Well, yeah. it's an adventure. It can be an adventure, and yeah. and I just see it now with, with love and curiosity as to who is going to reveal themselves within me and, and mm. trying to approach, th approach that in a welcoming way. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. I, I do at some point want to, in our conversation, want to kind of dive into a discussion around the tools. And you've mentioned Vipassana, uh, meditation is sort of one of the, one of the major, uh, influences in your, your process of knowing yourself or self discovery. Um, and you talked about this, that one very specific, or at least that maybe that first time that you sat. And I wonder, is, do you have a sense for what it was, like how, um, what it was about that experience in particular that, that left such a, um, that left such a, a, a mark on you or that, you know, that changed yeah. things? Yeah. 
Am I allowed to? Am I allowed to swear in this? Yeah. In this podcast or <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's not really swearing, okay. is it? But yes. So you it was, go for it. No, but yeah. So <laughs> it was actually in the second um, uh, second course that I sat that I had this uh-huh. awakening. In the first one, I did the ten days, and I thought, yeah. wow, that was so. It's ten days of silence and mm-hmm. a lot of pain when I was sitting down and whatever. But in mm. the first one, I actually walked out out of there and thought. Oh, that was interesting, but I'm not putting myself through that shit again. That yes. was that was my my reaction to my first cause. Yeah. And then a year later, almost to the day, I was sitting there on the mat again in the same hall, and I thought, "How the hell did I end up back here?" Like I don't even yeah. remember the process of being called back to it. But I was sitting there, and what it was was there was just something in my heart opened to my own love and I, you know, I was crying while I was sitting there in the hall in silence so you, you're not sobbing, you're just crying very, very quietly. And uh, <laughs> and I think it was just, just some sort of realisation or some sort of permission that, hey, hang on, I deserve my own love as much as everyone else deserves my love. And that was, that really was the, the insight, the realisation and, you know, medit- it is insight meditation. And, uh, yeah, mm. I think it was just that, that I, I just realized, yeah, why am I doing everything for other people when I'm as equally worthy? And mm. it then meant that I was going to break the dynamics of the family expectations and stuff like that because I wasn't going to play the games anymore and I was actually going to do my life differently, which sort of ostracized me even more for quite a while because I wasn't in the family dynamic properly. And, um, but I just kept coming at it from a place of compassion, knowing that all of us were, I mean, whether you've had trauma in your family or not, we've all got some sort of healing to do. And, and I just think, mm. yeah, I just kept trying really hard to come at it from compassion. And when I couldn't come at it from compassion for the other people, I came at it from for myself, compassion for myself. So, yeah, mm. I think it was just that, that my heart realised and received that love from myself. And from mm. then on it was like, oh, actually this is about equality here. It's not mm. even about me being better or they being better or one of us being better or worse. It was just like, well, I'm just as worthy as my, of my love as they are, as anyone is. So... From then on, I, I just started treating myself that way, but not in a defensive way, just in a way yeah. with loving with loving kindness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is it. It's a really powerful understanding to come into, I think. And it seemed, it feels to me like, um, it's those, those moments, those, those kinds of awakenings or aha moments or whatever they are. They often seem to, we have this idea in our minds about, what they'll be like and how they'll change us. And yet there's this sense in hearing your story and in, in just kind of reflecting on my own experiences as well, that they can be really every day. They can be really um, subtle, these, these changes, you know, like you were saying, I kind of just felt this and decided I'd be this or do this or, or, or think this way. Have you noticed that things kind of showing up in that way in your life sense, or have you noticed that you have some expectation within you about what this process of knowing yourself is going to look like and how it's going to show you yourself? 
I was given um, some really good advice that stuck with me. I was given given it in my 20s. I said to an older mm-hmm. friend, we were on a road trip together, and I said to him, does it get any easier? He was about 10 mm. years older, and he, he said, oh, hell no, Bronnie. It just, you just become more <laughs> equipped to cope with it. And mm. I was, like, really disappointed. I just wanted to know that. Boom, you know, it's it's going to one day I'm going to be so wise and evolve that that's it. There's no learning. It's just cruisy from then on. But yeah. what he said to me was he said, and I said, oh, gosh, you know, that's that's hardly anything to look forward to. And he said, no, but you've got to let yourself be surprised. You know, yeah. sometimes there'll be really good things happen as well. And that sort of became a bit of a philosophy for me about let mm-hmm. yourself be surprised. I even wrote a song mm-hmm. called that when I was a singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. So when I sort of have those, so now I let myself be surprised. I try really hard not to have too many expectations on how things are going to unfold and or how I'm even going to show up in in a particular situation because what I've found is those small moments are the powerful ones mm. and the big ones the big things in life, really, there's there's half a dozen in your whole lifetime probably. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not many huge things, huge turning points. The the turning and the discovery is on a day-to-day basis and a moment-to-moment basis. So I don't want to miss that, and I have a very deep uh, commitment to presence. And mm-hmm. as a result of that, I've notice more and more it is those small little insights and sometimes we don't even recognize it at the time it can just be oh yeah Yeah. you know and then you carry on and then you might find six months later what you were thinking about has unfolded in your life or it's a thought that just keeps niggling at you or whatever Mm. and so I just try and stay as present as I can but I really trust in the moments a lot more than I trust in the big stuff because the big stuff is you know, I've had big stuff happen, especially with the success of my book, and and mm. and you know, but it's quite fleeting. Whereas the moments build upon each other, and and so in a way, I find that they're much more powerful than than those big wow moments because they uh, they've got the the grounding and the capability of becoming so much more than than they are than just that moment because they are mm. building on each other. And so I think the more present we can become and the more we notice all those little thoughts or all those little moments, then the more we're sort of opening to a quickening of it unfolding anyway. Mm. Yeah, gosh. I love that you've said that because as you're talking about it, I'm thinking about those big moments in our lives that feel like, you know, a bomb exploding. And then there's this sort of aftermath where we're kind of trying to, uh, trying to better understand what, you know, how that impacted us, whatever. But, and then there's just those day to day, bit by bit, that if you're not present to those moments, if you're not tuning into yourself in that time, you, you know, I don't like, there's, there's a part of me that thinks we're changed regardless of how much we notice it, but there is something about knowing it. So there's something about, um, tuning into it that feels like it propels us even further quicker, further, I don't know, towards ourselves. And I think, yeah. Well, I, more, I enjo- more enjoyably as well. Mm-hmm. More enjoyably I'm- as well. You know, like I think you're right in that we don't always notice it, but yeah. if we do notice it, we're, we're more of a player in our own game. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, present to our transformation. You know, I, I, I think for you, I think about 
your experience of the book. You mentioned that the top five regrets of the dying, you know, this incredibly um, influential and popular book. And I wonder about the process for you for, for what that was like in terms of your connection to who you were and who you are and who you were becoming through that path from going from, you know, relatively unknown person <laughs> to all, you know, this international, you know, author, books have been translated into many languages, et cetera, et cetera. Is there, is there some part of that journey that you feel connected to relative to better understanding yourself? Absolutely. Um, it's made me get rid of the walls around my heart. You know, I, I had mm. all those, that false sense of self-protection and mm -hmm. wouldn't let people get too close because, you know, it was just that self-protection. Whereas being in the public eye and and having to share myself so personally or being called to share myself so personally. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes everyone who reads my book feel like they're my bestie, but mm -hmm. there's a lot about, a, a lot about me that's not in, in my books. And, and so I do still, I consider myself a really private person, even though I share on such a personal and intimate level, mm -hmm. because I always keep some of me for me. But my, my dad and mum met when he was, uh, um, the lead guitar so in the old days you know radio shows were filmed live and mum was a singer dad was a mm -hmm. guitarist and he was hired to back her and her friend singing on a radio show and mm -hmm. uh and so he was also really well known in the country the founding years of the country music industry in australia and what that meant was that there are a lot of famous people came to our house as, as a kid. And I worked it out really early on that fame was nonsense, really. Mm. I, I, yeah, I, I saw how a lot of my friends treated me with a little bit more royalty when certain people were staying in their caravans on our farm and they'd mm. all come and, and bring their autograph books and I'd take them home and get their autograph books signed for them and everything. But I just remember that there was a lack of authenticity in, uh, like people were treating me better when there were famous people staying on our farm. Mm -hmm. And so from a very young age, probably only eight or nine or 10 or something, I just thought fame is, is crap. Like fame's <laughs> awful. It makes people into something that you're not. And yeah. yet I also felt that I was going to have a public life. And I, I resisted that so hugely for so long, um, mainly because I, I was so used to being condemned and criticised within the family unit that I just didn't really want to step out into the public eye and then be condemned and criticised publicly as well. But what it actually prepared me for was that by the time I was condemned and criticised publicly, it's like, oh, whatever, because I'd done so much healing and, and had learnt that any judgment says so much more about the person judging than it does about the person being judged. And mm. so I think life was always preparing me for the public eye and mm. a part of me always knew that as well. Mm. And I tried to get a book published, a photography and a quote book for three years. And when I couldn't get that done, that was when I was in the banking industry. And when I couldn't get that done, I went on to the singer-songwriter path because I thought, well, at least that's an industry I know. I grew up in, in that industry. Mm. But I hated it and I just I didn't want to go out to loud pubs at 10 o'clock at night and everything else. So 
But what it did was it was that breaking down of my walls, standing on a stage singing your most personal songs Mm. helps you dissolve your ego very quickly and we're all here Mm. to dissolve our ego. Mm. And it also helped me just break down the walls and become a, a lot more brave. And then life rewarded me with the author's path and when I speak now, I find I don't do a lot of public speaking um, by choice, but when I do, it, it's so easy. I, I don't even think about it. I just stroll onto the stage and keep strolling across the stage and having a yarn with the audience. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry, my, one of my dogs That's is barking. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry, we've moved house recently and they're still adjusting to the new neighbourhood noises. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. so I think that, yeah, I, I, I think that, yeah, all of it plays its role and all of it's brought me to who I am here. Mm. Um, yeah, so for the, when, when the five regrets sort of exploded, I, I'd already been trying to get my message out there publicly anyway as a singer songwriter. So mm. all it really was, cause it exploded at the same time as I became a mom in the same 24 <laughs> hours. And so. Crazy. I think, yeah, it is. So I think it really just prepared me for all of that. So when the explosion actually happened, it was, I mean, I had a baby. I I had other things to think about. And Mm. so I I just went along for the ride after that. And, yeah, sometimes I look back and wish I could have been more present, but it is what it is, yeah. Is there anything in your your experience of fame and your, you know, the way that you've responded to it that has surprised you? I'm proud of myself the way I've responded to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think what I've surprised myself is that I, and this is what I've learned through hanging out with dying people for all those years and then talking mm. about it for all, all these further years, mm. is that I genuinely don't care how I'm perceived. And <laughs> so I've had people who have said, but you've sold over a million books. You don't have a very big Instagram following. <laughs> and I'm like, so I'm living the life I want to be living. I'm not going mm. to have regrets. You know, I mm. I love my so- social communities, but it's not the driving force of who I am. And and if I take a month off every now and then, which I do, I, I don't sort of worry that I'm going to miss out on anything because there are expectations when, when you're that, your, your book is that uh, successful, yeah. that you're going to be out on the speaking circuit and mm. you're going to be you know, schmoozing. And, and I mean, I have been, I've shared a stage with some really big people. Deepak Chopra, mm-hmm. Wayne Dyer interviewed me, um, Wall Street Journal, you know, things like that. I, I've, mm-hmm. I've been, that is a part of my career and it is a part of who I am. But if it were other people who I've, I've watched evolve and who have like a million followers or whatever, they would have just taken the five regrets and just, you know, gone for it forever. But Mm. just gone like just gone in so many directions with it but I don't want to miss my life and and to Mm. me success isn't about all of that I mean I I'm Mm. really grateful that that I earn a decent living from my work and especially Mm. that I earn it in 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 a creative way Mm. but I know myself well enough to know what makes me happy and what makes Mm. me happy isn't fame and it isn't being away talking to strangers every once a week you know 50 weeks a year i'm i'm a solo mm. mom i'm a single mom i i was blessed to become a mum late in life and um you know and and all that as well just conceived naturally and quickly and even though it didn't work out with my daughter's dad 
I've been blessed with being a mum at 45, becoming a mum mm. at 45. So I don't want to miss that. And that's way more important to me than riding the fame train. And yeah, I've had a lot of people say, Oh, you just seem so real and so, so not what I expected. And I was <laughs> like, Well, this is who I am. And <laughs> I'm rather than sort of, I don't take it for, for granted. I'm very, mm. very grateful for the success of my work. I'm very grateful. But it does enable me a certain amount of freedom mm. um, and it has taught me a certain amount of courage. I mean, really, it's mm. it's not the success of fame as much as my courage that's got me where I am. So, mm. yeah, fame's a funny thing. It's so, yeah. you know, it's, it's so fluid if mm -hmm. you know it's a very fluid sort of thing because one minute you can be well known and the next minute your next book may not sell so much and yeah. the next thing you know you you know you maybe drop off the public eye but if you can still be happy living the life you're living well when you're at the end of your life looking back you're going to be really proud of yourself rather than oh gosh I go I mean fame is really just other people's opinions and that's not what drives me Mm. I wondered as you were as you're talking about that, if you if you have a sense and you touched on it a little, but I'd love to hear more. If you have a sense for um, what it is about you that is just spoken to people that has spoken to audiences and, you know, every every everything from the, you know, the big audiences all around the world who love your work and what you do to um, the smaller audiences, you know, like the people that are close mm. to you. I guess that I'm real and I'm grounded. I, I, I mm. guess I, I can't say for sure. I do know yeah. there's been a couple of events I've been to where, uh, you know, I've watched behind the curtains as people have come into the room and they're crying in excitement. Or when they've met me, they've been crying and and everything. And it, and you know, those moments are so beautiful and I'm I'm so honoured and grateful for them. But mm. there's been other moments where. I can see I'm a bit of a letdown to people, um, especially <laughs> well-known, well-known. Well, you know, I, I just keep it real. And there's been a couple of occasions where I've met really well-known, quite famous people, mm -hmm. and they're like all hyped up about meeting me. And then they meet me and then I just share something about one, you know, maybe a challenge I'm going through or, you mm. know, we just have a, a real a real person yarn or what I think is a real person yarn. Mm. And I, I, I don't know, I've just witnessed it maybe a few times, three or four times, where their balloon of expectation of me just goes, and just all the air <laughs> goes out of it. And, and yeah, I mean, there, there was one person who just, you know, who absolutely adored me. And by the end of the, um, by the end of the conversation, and she'd adored my work and promoted it for a long time. And by the end of the conversation, I said, oh, if I'm ever over your way again, you know, let's catch up for a cuppa. And she was like, oh, yeah, call my people. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to call your people. <laughs> and it, it's just it's, like, oh, well, whatever, whatever. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it feels like, and, you know, I mean, speaking from my own experience as a friend of yours for so long, I think you've totally nailed it. I think there is, there's an authenticity to you and to, to how you carry yourself in the world and how, how you engage in things that is just really appealing. Like, I feel like we have, you know, our society has kind of taught us to have this expectation or to be drawn to things that are larger than life 
And in many ways, it that feels, at least in my own experience, it's always felt like we're setting ourselves up for disappointment because there's always the, you know, at some point, somebody's going to have to, you know, go to the toilet or somebody's going you know, to have to do something that, that, you know, reminds us that they're real. And so what I'm seeing yes. now, you know, and what I'm seeing now and what I'm present to myself is that I'm drawn to the folks like yourself who are just authentic from the very beginning. Like, like you're, you know, you're this anti-model model, you know, and you know what I mean? It, because it's mm-hmm. just for you, it's just about being who you are and, you know, being present to life, as you've said. So, yeah, I do think you've nailed it there. You know, I, I think that's true success really is having the courage yeah. just to get on with how you want to live anyway. And yeah, yeah I, and I've also seen a lot of humanity, you know, I, I, Mm. One of my old lovers used to be in jail and I taught songwriting in a jail. I've also lived house sat for, you know, I lived next door to the wealthiest family in Australia. I live next door Mm. to, you know, house sat next to them. I've had cleaners and gardeners and been in situations like that. And, uh, and really I've also wiped the backsides of people who, you know, speak with a very strong plum in their mouth and look down upon mm. everyone else. And, you know, their, their backside looks just like everyone else's backside, you know, and, mm. and it, it's really, we're all the same. And, and, and I really love humanity. I love that mm. it's so varied and that there's so much brokenness that can be disguised. Like some of the wisest people I've met are people who, I mean, most wise people have been to hell and back anyway, or not most, but mm. a lot. Yeah. And I mean, that's where they, where they get their wisdom. But mm. some people who would be absolutely judged by society because of how they look or show up or their, their ec- economical situation, financial situation, have been some of the most wise and wonderful souls I've come across. Mm. And then there's been others who have sort of looked down on all of society and they are just so fragile and lost and mm. a real lesson in compassion. And so I, I think that, you know, fame and, and public success is, I mean, it does open doors and it does bring financial rewards, but abundance has many faces and it doesn't have to always come in through your income. It can really come mm. in through opportunities or life giving you shortcuts to things. And it, it doesn't always come as money in the bank. It, it, you can live a very abundant life if if a friend's got um a huge organic vegetable garden and they've got a surplus of stuff and they give you Mm. stuff, well, that's abundance to be given stuff straight out of a garden and, you know, you're eating it that night and it was in the earth that day. I mean, Mm. that's a pretty rich way to live. And so Mm. I try and see success as just one of the keys to to my happiness because I'll never not be grateful. I I had a lot of jobs I hated. So Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful. But what I'm grateful most for is my courage to have Mm. stepped out there and backed myself in the first place because that's Mm. what brought my success. It wasn't a fluke that this book took off. I I, I had given it everything I had and more. So, yeah, success is just sort of a 
It's almost like an unfortunate byproduct. <laughs> like, well, fame is not success. Fame, yeah. fame is like an, an unfortunate byproduct. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I'm, but I'm, I'm just always... grateful for it all. Sorry, I, I'm just saying I'm just no, grateful no, okay. for it all because it's it just gives it's another life experience. There's that's what I'm into is experiencing mm. experiencing as much of life as I can. Yeah, mm. so that's just another thing. Yeah. Mm, you, you, you're such a positive, um, energy. And, and, you know, again, I can sort of say from personal experience that you've got this buoyancy to you. Um, but I wonder, I find myself wondering just in terms of specifically in terms of this process of knowing yourself, what sure. has been the hardest part? Where have you struggled in, you know, in, in knowing yourself? Or developing a I sense th- of self-awareness, I should say. Yeah, it's it's a funny one, actually. It's, I think it's because I because of all the years I spent with dying people, and this has shaped mm-hmm. who I've become. Mm. That I know, I know the I've witnessed repeatedly the pain and anguish of regret, and mm. so I'm determined not to have regrets. And that means forgiveness for old mistakes and not carrying mm. them anymore and having compassion for my old self. But mm. it also means that if I'm not going to have regrets, then I have to continue to dig deeper for the next level of courage because every step is a harder step I seem to set myself up for. You know, I understand that I may not see every single dream realised because I am a dreamer and I have some pretty big visions. But I think in knowing myself, it's knowing the biggest challenge is knowing that I can do something and knowing that there's the only way I can get through it is to lean on myself mm. and that it's and that my job is actually to dissolve my resistance and my fear and then life will support me. And mm. so I think that's probably my biggest challenge, just knowing that, oh, I've got this vision, I'm going to do this. I know I'm going to do it because if I don't do it, I'm going to regret it. But, oh, I know how, <laughs> how painful this is going to be and how much resistance I'm going to have to break through. So I mm. think in, in knowing myself, it's it's more just knowing that I have exercised so much courage, like developed my courage muscle so strongly, but there will always be new things that will make me have to work that muscle harder mm. and if I want to die without regrets. And mm. so... um that's probably one of the hardest things, but at the same time, on a slightly um, po- on a positive note to that, is that I also have the courage to surrender when I know I can't, when I've lost my joy around something. When, like, there's a big difference, I think, Shara, between fear and breaking through resistance and trying to control something. And mm-hmm. I mean, trying to control something is fear as well. But, mm-hmm. but like recently, I, I've just bought thirty-one acres. <laughs> And I'm going to build a house on it. And mm. I've been doing so much research and I'm doing it on quite a tight budget because I've bought 31 acres and mm. that's where, <laughs> where my money went. And so I'm doing all this research and it was just feeling so hard and scary, but so hard mm. and just so many things I had to learn to get it, that I'll have to learn to get it through council, everything like that. And I was sitting here a couple of weeks ago and I just thought, this is just feeling too hard. It's not meant to be this hard. It's mm. not meant to be. And I'm in an area that 
I don't really know many people in this town yet and mm-hmm. I'm making friends, but it's, you know, it's not like I can reach my, my local network that I had up there, you know, up your way for the last eight years. And so I was just sitting there and I thought, it's not meant to be this hard and I'm not enjoying it. It doesn't matter if I don't move into, if we don't move into the house for another two years instead of aiming for eight to 12 months. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I was looking at shipping containers and all sorts of ecological choices and stuff. And so I let it go and just felt such a weight lift off me. But that takes courage to let it go mm-hmm. because I'm paying rent in the meantime. So it's like, mm-hmm. do I want to pay rent when, you know, I've got a house waiting to be built? And then, of course, a week week or two later, I just fall into the most natural conversation with someone and she's done shipping containers, she's done a shed home, she's got all the contacts, she's, you know, mad chai drinker. And she just said, <laughs> oh, no, just drop back in. And she owns a store in town and she said, just drop mm-hmm. back in and we'll work out a time and you can come up and look at my shed and I'll put you in touch with the right people. And and that's what wow. happens. And I think that that, yeah, exactly. So having the courage to have a go at things but also having the courage to let go when mm. I see that, okay, this is not just fear and resi- this isn't fear and resistance. I've worked through that bit. I'm having a go at this. This mm. is actually me trying to control every step of the way and feeling like I have to know every step. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, the the want of not having regrets. And for me, that's not actually about seeing every dream realized. It's knowing mm. that I've exercised as much courage as I can and lived as courageously as I can. That is what mm. a regret-free life will look like for me. Wow. Um, so much in that. <laughs> <laughs> really, I'm sort of processing yeah. all yeah, of this. Sorry. No, well, no, this is all very You ask good, good questions. <laughs> no, this is so good. Like, so you've, you've talked about, I want to, I want to talk more about the tools for, um, mm-hmm knowing yourself, like what you've experienced and, and also not even just what you've experienced, because, you know, for me as somebody who engages with people and, and supports people, I recognize that there are, there are things that I don't necessarily do, but that I would also recommend for other folks to do, you know, based on kind yeah. of who they are. And so you, you've talked about courage so much. And I love that. I love that, it, that you've brought that up because I think that's a really important thing. And I think Often mm. when we, when we consider this process of self-awareness, um, I think maybe sometimes we discount how important courage is. And I wonder for you two things. One, what do you think have been, have been and are the most important tools for discovering, you know, yourself for kind of unearthing, you know, what matters most to you in your life and, and, you know, what may stop you from aligning with those things or support you in doing that. And then the second, and I'll repeat this later if you forget, because this is kind of a super long question. The second is what has taught you the most? Like what has been, you know, if you had to look over your life to date and determine, you know, what has been your biggest teacher with respect to knowing yourself best, what might you say that that was? Okay. Um, Probably the two things that helped me uh, to the first question, yeah, the two sure. things that help, help, help me the most. One is that because I ended, I ended up with a disease when my daughter was born and so I, I've had a journey with chronic pain and all sorts of things with that. So that really taught me 
the value of leaving space. And mm. in the early days when Eleanor was only like two or three, if we went on a play date, that was it for the day. I couldn't do a play date and then stop at the shops and pick up a few things on the way home. The shops and grocery mm. shopping, they were a different day. It was one outing per day. And mm. I started to actually see the value of space. And so then as I, I got through the, that horrific time and, um, and, and my health has improved enormously, I've also mm. understood that space is my medicine. And so if I don't leave enough space, I get sick again. And mm. so space, leaving space is, um, and, and not just space, I leave space in my time. I definitely don't overfill my time at all, but also space in my, in my home. Like I don't mm. have it too cluttered space in, um, like in my computer files, mm. uh, you know, all sorts of things. I just see space as as my medicine. It really mm. is. And, and knowing myself has allowed me to create boundaries around that. It's like, oh, actually, that's going to feel too full. Um, I, it's not going to work for me. And I, I find my daughter's a little bit the same because she's a pretty mm. wise and sensitive kid. But mm. because I've always honoured space and, like, for example, we, on a Saturday morning, we don't make plans ever. We, we never mm -hmm. make plans on a Saturday morning before midday, one o'clock. And that's our downtime. We can let the morning be whatever it wants to be. And on the very rare occasions when we have done something on a Saturday, we've both said, oh, that was that was a mistake. And so sometimes I have to schedule space in. The other thing is actually what I learned from you, Shara, is mm. to feel into things and think, how does this actually feel for me? To mm. actually be mindful enough to tune in and ask myself, does this feel good? And mm. I've learned, you know, through all these years with dying people and, and making sure I'm on a regret-free path myself, that I'm not responsible for the reactions of other people. And I'll certainly never consciously hurt someone. I, I, I'm a mm. kind person naturally, mm. but I also, as I said earlier, I also am worthy of my own kindness. And so if I'm invited to something or whatever, I check in, does this feel good? And sometimes it's like, yeah, it feels okay, but it doesn't feel as good as it would feel to walk the dog or, <laughs> or hang out with my kid or drive out to my block of land or, or mm. whatever. So I think, um, yeah, feeling into, feeling into things is, and, and I really learned that through our friendship when mm. you've spoken about it so often over the years, uh, you know, it is actually a, a tool and a practice because we all know how we feel if it leaves us feeling bad or, um, and if something feels really, really good, we often don't, we're not fully present with it, like in mm -hmm. a place of gratitude, like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I'm so grateful. Like, that's what I do. I feel the moment and I feel so grateful. And if something feels bad, it's not, I, I don't allow it to carry any more weight than it needs to. It's just mm -hmm. like, well, no, this isn't feeling good. I'm going to trust that, that feeling. That sort of led into the second question, which was, I know when you asked it, it was like, well, feelings is going to play a role in that answer. But yeah. it was what is, what has been like, if you look out over the span of your life, what do you feel? <laughs> Throw that in now. What do you <laughs> feel what... has, what's, what's been, um, what's taught you the most about yourself? Like what experience or experiences or 
you know, whatever it's been, because mm. you've had an incredible life with lots of different experiences, people, yeah. all kinds of things. I think there's two, there's probably two, and one is um, how I show up as a as a famous person. I mean, that's mm-hmm. taught me that that I I really do love myself enough to show up as myself and not play that game. Mm. But I think more so the journey with disease because mm. I've just learnt self-kindness on such a massively deep level and it's not just about self-kindness in terms of how to manage pain or leave mm. enough space or stuff like that. I mean, it, it goes right to the core of who you are and how you then present yourself to the world and how you how you know yourself. So mm. I think for me, I mean, I had a lot, you know, my family are, are really, have been wonderful teachers on, on all sorts of levels. They are really good people despite the upbringing I I how I perceived my upbringing and mm-hmm. and it was pretty traumatic but but they're good people they're good and kind people when it really gets down to the the guts of it and um but I even with all of that I don't think that any of that has taught me as much about knowing myself as the last 10 11 10 and a half years of living with disease and teaching me what I'm really capable of on a physical level, on a professional level, on a kindness Mm. level, on a financial level, on every level, certainly Mm. on a spiritual level. And that that has helped me trust the lessons that come my way. It's not like I embrace them and say, oh, you beauty, you know, I'm going to (laughs) suffer for the next three months. It's not like that. But I do... I, I'm really able now to let go into the lesson with with a lot less resistance and just think, okay, I, I, I trust this lesson has come from a place of love. So yeah, I think I think that Shara, I think that living with disease, having some of my freedom, physical freedom taken from me, mm-hmm. um, and having to grieve, go through that grief process of who I used to be, and recognizing that that she's gone and this is who I am now. And so rather than spend my life trying to be someone I used to be, someone, you know, fit Mm. and gorgeous but pretty broken and Mm. to be peaceful and mature, it's like, well, yeah, I'll take take the latter any day. So, yeah, I just think the journey with my health. And I I think for nearly all of us, our, our health, whether we we like it or not, our health is can be one of our biggest teachers. Yeah, whether it's a huge disease or whatever, it's it's a it's you can't get a much more remarkable teacher. Yeah, you know that's really interesting because that makes me think a little bit about our ability and our willingness to feel. And there there are so many things that we can just ignore. You know, we can just ignore mm. until they get bad, and we do. And yet when, as you're saying, and I love that you've brought this up, when, as you're saying, you are, you are squarely faced with a, a, a limitation, like a physical limitation that you can feel, it, it's, it can become an opportunity if you're willing, if you're courageous enough, which my God, my friend, you are the most courageous person <laughs> I know, you know, single mother. <laughs> Um, with a gorgeous child that you've done such an amazing job with, all the work that you do, everything that you Thank give you. to the world. 
this it does take this courage to look into this limitation for those aspects of yourself. Yeah, but it's, I mean, being sick has been one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And mm. it has helped me know myself and it has helped me treat myself with immense loving kindness because mm. I've learned I have to say no to things and mm -hmm. and now I don't do it with any sort of guilt or explanation. I just say no because I mm. because I feel in and think, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> so so as we're starting to kind of wrap this conversation up, I've got another big mm. question for you. You've, you've, you're, you're so good with the juicy questions. You know, it feels to me like so many of us grow up with this unconscious, subconscious fear of knowing ourselves, fear of what inquiring into who we are may show us or may, may mean, may tell us all the rest of it. And so for you, as somebody who's been on this path for so long and has embraced it wholeheartedly, my, I wonder, what have you felt or what have you seen has been the value of knowing yourself? Like, how has it benefited you? What has been the gift? Yeah. Well, it's freedom. It's freedom because you <laughs> do show up then as who you totally are. You don't mm. have, I mean, being who you're not is, is a lot of hard work. It mm. takes a lot of energy. And I understand why people don't want to go there because it's confronting to really <laughs> dig into yourself and you can't go through it without pain you you have to do mm. the healing and it's going to be hard and it's very easy to try and escape that through pretending you're someone you're not or whatever mm. but i i feel that uh, that it's yeah it's just given me freedom because mm. i can be me i am me in any environment whether i'm on a stage speaking to women who have paid five thousand dollars for a ticket mm. at some event or whatever or whether I'm speaking to, you know, just a, a mum at the school pickup or mm. whether I'm speaking to some, you know, farming old dude, you know, I stopped and had a yarn <laughs> with an old dude the other day along the road. He sort of waved and I slowed down and half hour later we're still having a yarn, you know. And I, I feel like that is an immense freedom and in um, a huge gift of kindness to myself to have done, gone there and confronted the stuff that I needed to heal because I don't have to do anything other than show up as I am and success will attach itself to me um, and everything I need in terms of, you know, friendships, I, you know, with like the richness of friendship that we share and, mm. yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think more, yeah, without me needing to elaborate further, it's given me freedom anywhere, any situation you drop me in, I'm me. Yeah. And that mm. is freedom. I love that so much. And I love it in part <laughs> because every ounce of it rings true when, in terms of what I know of you. You know, every single bit of what you've said rings true. I, I feel as though you are a, a rare, a rare gem. And indeed, Bronnie, where you are a rare gem. And, and I also just feel really grateful to, to have you as a friend and, you know, as a model, you know, for this, this work, this hard work that we do, you know, of finding the courage to know ourselves. And so I just really want to say thank you to you for having this conversation, you know, this public conversation with me about this. I've learned so much more 
Um, and it's made me even more excited for the conversations we'll be having in the future. <laughs> yeah. off the air, there's just so many more yeah. I know, but I, I have to thank you too, Shara, because, you know, we're equals in this friendship and you just deliver so much wisdom to the world. And I, I don't know that, that you fully own that yet. And, but what you are giving to the world is already a massive act of service and is already benefiting so many, so many great people. And, but I, I just, cause I know you so well, I, mm. our conversations are always enriching because of the wisdom you share with me too. So it, it's, you know, there's, there's a fair amount of a reciprocal kindness and um, sharing going on there. So it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I'm so grateful that you invited me to be here as a guest on such a fascinating subject. So mm. thank you, darling. Likewise, likewise. Well, there you are. And I hope that there were some nourishing tidbits in there for you. You know, I, I remember once thinking about the joy of experiencing the joy of others and how when folks are truly in their element, how it's a gift to be able to be a part of that. And so whenever I share these conversations that have been so inspiring and fun for me with you, I hope that you're able to access even just a little bit, but hopefully so much more of the inspiration and delight that I experience in having them. And so as always, I just want to thank you for listening. I'm back from my travels and I've got more episodes to share with you. And so do stay tuned and, you know, feel free to drop me a line if you've got thoughts to share about this concept of knowing yourself. What is it meant for you? What does it look like? And if you struggle as most of us do, what questions or challenges do you have about the process of knowing yourself that I might be able to address? in conversation with myself or with others sometime this season. And so all the very best to you. Until next time. Namaste. Namaste.